giant bitey teeth with feet. Hello and welcome to Dice Like Ice. I'm your host, Tony Acton, and with me, the Mork to my Gork, Andrew Mitchell. Wow. <laughs> Figured you would enjoy that when you dirty green skin. Yeah, much as I uh, love my, my silly little green boys, I'm not really one much for the, the loud, shouty energy that orcs are supposed to bring. I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, you know, hot tip right off the bat, guys. Nobody likes it when someone shouts a wah at the game store. It's funny yeah. once, and after that, it gets stupid real fast. Uh, before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Grip and Rip, as <laughs> always. It sounds more like a pop and drop over there. Yeah, I didn't have a can this time. I have a bottle of uh, New Holland. I have New Holland Dragon's Milk, which is a fantastic stout. Um, it is 11%, so I might get a little silly by the end of this podcast, but hey, that's what beer's for. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm rocking the service brewing company Compass Rose IPA out of Savannah, Georgia. Uh, it is a very very light six point six, which kind of surprises me, but it's very oh. nice. Uh, veteran uh, owned, veteran uh, brewed. We get the fun juxtaposition of I have a smooth, flavorful, highly alcoholic beverage, and you have a uh, essentially a jar of paint thinner that has no alcohol in it. Don't judge me. I, I will like judge. My... I will judge all IPA drinkers. Just because you can't taste bitter. I can taste bitter. I just don't like tons of bitter. <laughs> after, put, after the job I do, your chest. I, I can taste bitter. <laughs> Let's get started like always. What have you been uh, working on? What's on your workbench? Oh, hobby progress. Hup, hup, hup. Let me get to my notes. Okay, so main thing I started on this week is uh, I have been anticipating Cruel Boys. I have been anticipating Orcs releases, so I'm going to buy a boatload <laughs> of greenskins. So what did I do? Well, I just went ahead and bought 60 grots for my Gloom Spike kits because why not? I'm a crazy person. Now, the list I'm thinking about taking to uh, the New Orleans Open uh, might involve upwards of 100 grots, and I only owned 40, so I needed to, to fill out that gap. So um, my hobby progress is I built 60 grots. I have now gotten the robes and the skin done on all of them. As of, like, uh, three hours ago, uh, the skins are done, so now I'm, I'm starting on the shoes. So with how I paint my, my, my frontline soldiers, I skip a lot of steps I would normally do on a character because uh, I'm not made of time. I just have more than most people when it comes to painting. Um, so my robes only get two colors in a wash. The skin only gets two colors in a wash. Uh, my uh, uh, weapons get one color and two washes, so that way they get that proper uh, dingy, rusty metal look. Uh, so you know, they're they're as far as frontline infantry goes, they go pretty quickly. I should actually have them done by in the next week, probably. Um, and because continuing the whole I'm a crazy person thing, I built or I bought a Stompa for my orcs, um, and I had it three-fourths of the way built because this kit is fucking heinous oh my god yeah. it is it is prime late 2000s early 2010s warhammer where they essentially got the instructions manual and they're like here's a picture of the part you're supposed to have and here's the bits but they're not labeled or anything so you have to look at these really 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 tiny pictures and try and interpret which is which and with this particular kit it's all orc shit so it's all random looking like cables and things and so i'm just like well there's 17 cables i guess I'll clip out the four that look the most similar and I'll I'll put them into nope not that one okay oh, nope not that one it's just that for the whole fucking kit and 
I'm really glad they're so expensive points-wise and monetarily, because I'm never buying more than one. <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to, to reassemble something off of a... Are you familiar with what a dummy rag is with, like, weapons and stuff? No, do tell. It's basically like an exploded view. Like, if you've ever seen, like, an exploded view of a rifle or a car... Oh, or, oh, 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 yeah. Like, in those old, like, see-through books, yeah. where it'd be, like, the exploded version of a battleship. Or the really cool uh, uh, nerd books for Star Wars, where it's like, here's the Millennium Falcon cut in half. <laughs> exactly. With all the parts kind of shot off in every direction with, like, a line to them. No, that's le- that's legitimately what it's like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's oh, it's yeah. horrible. And I'm finally almost done with it. I got the gun arm assembled. The glue is currently <laughs> drying. I just started on the chainsaw hand before this uh, podcast was started recording because we're recording a little bit later than normal and on a different day than normal. So, yeah, uh, I was a I little like to change it up and throw yeah, bridges yeah. into plans. We, we want life to be crazy. Uh, or I've, for our friends over the pond, throw spanners in the works. Yes. It's throw a spanner in the lumber. <laughs> throw gun. a spanner. Oh, yes. I, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I also ordered a, uh, a Morka knot because starting the nice. uh, starting the, the, the orc tide. Uh, I plan on getting a shitload of the new boys, the new beast boys, uh, snagga boys, whatever they're called. Uh, Squig hopper, or they're not hoppers, they're riders. I get my green skins mixed up. Don't uh, do that. Yeah, uh, and then just a bunch of ancillary stuff that I need to get just to fill up, fill out my wah. I uh, I need to get a couple of Rucka Truck Squig buggies because they're the only buggy I don't actually own from the old uh, October release. They're also the coolest named buggy in they, there. They are, and they're also good this edition. They're a lot less random. They're actually good. They're legit, legitimately solid because all of their um, main cannons are mortars, so you don't have to be able to draw a line of sight to your enemies, and they're good. It's like two d three shots, and I think something like six or seven strength AP minus two on their main one so they're legitimately solid weapons and range like 36 inches or something so i will certainly be adding yet more squigs to my green skin army uh they'll just be bombs instead of being ridden upon by orcs um, you uh need to take the rucka truck squig buggies and keep them true to your hometown and uh make the tires huge on them lift them up and make sure they have very bright lights and just belch smoke when they accelerate I mean, yeah, it's an orc vehicle. They do that already. <laughs> All right, cool. Make it sure. Uh, they, they don't give a shit about fuel economy. What's fuel? <laughs> they run off squigs or like they throw a Gretchen into the, the oil tank or something. Um... And that's pretty much all the hobby progress I've got. I did just get a notification that my kill team box was shipped, so I should be receiving that probably by Wednesday next week, give or take. So uh, lots, lots and lots of building and painting in my future. It's it's going to be a very busy September. (laughs) Sounds like. How about you? You got any uh, hobby progress on your end? Yeah, so uh, mostly rats, as uh, apparently is tradition right now. Rats and greenskins, that's what we're about, much, baby. Exactly. Much like you, I was like, mm, this, this 120 rats isn't enough. So I bought, built, and assembled 60 more clan rats. Oof. Yeah. Got uh, six storm fiends going. You're not allowed to make fun of my greenskin addiction. <laughs> I'm not. Not at all. <laughs> he who cast the stone, right? Yeah. You're, you're just, <laughs> your stone just happens to be a little fuzzier than mine. Yeah. My, hey, man. Rats are kept as pets. Greenskins aren't. Now, don't you know if there was such a thing as a tiny mushroom man, some asshole would keep that thing as a pet. Okay, that's fair. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I would love a squig. Yeah, yeah. Because you could, if you if you're tough and mean enough, you could train it like the world's most fucking savage guard dog. And then when it's inevitably caught by the cops and they're going to go put it down, it'll just bite off everyone's arms and escape. That's true. That's true. Um. Yeah. So uh, got got all those all those rats built. 
Got six Storm Fiends built. Uh, finished putting together my Vermin Lord Warp Seer. Got the um, Thanquil and Bone Ripper are now complete. Ooh, boy, is that a beast of a unit. My god. You got the new plastic one that came out with the end times, right? Yeah, the new plastic one. It's still, it's... I mean, compared to that slightly, old one. Yeah. It's slightly better instructions on it than your stomp up. Yeah. Well, it's also way smaller and yeah, way less parts. It has numbers, and about 30% of the numbers are wrong. Hey, uh, it could be like the stomp kit, and the sprue could have numbers, but the fucking instruction manual doesn't. <laughs> it's like, what? why do you even bother? Yeah, it's, oh, it's wasting like an ounce worth of extra plastic because it's raised numbers. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank Will and yeah. yeah, and then uh, got a couple more just miscellaneous characters built. Uh, a warlock, a um, the one of the bombardier guys, uh, a chieftain, the claw lord, I believe they're called now. That's the one that used to be a uh, queek head taker, I think. Yes, I, I got the queek head taker model, not the other one. I got the uh, jumping directly at you one because I thought it looked a lot cooler than the standing there pointing a sword. Yeah, that was kind of lame. Yeah, and then um, I got the arch warlock, which used to be Ickit Claw, uh, and that was a blast from the past because it was metal. Oh, wow. From GW, it was a metal kit, and whoo, boy, I do not miss working with metal. I think, I'm trying to think of the last metal kit I actually had. I think it might have been Chaos Obliterators, which, goddamn, you want to talk about an ugly fucking model. Yeah, I think, unless it was a Lord of the Rings miniature, the last metal kit that I got was... You know, it wasn't something bought secondhand like Bretonians, because it's me. Ah, uh, yeah, that's its own thing. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was an Emperor's Champion in, like, 6th edition, speaking right before of, Finecast. Speaking of, yeah. you excited for that new one? Ah, hmm, that's a loaded question. All right, we'll get to it later. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go ahead and tap on it. Okay, I, I'm okay. weird about the models a lot of times when they release a picture. To me, until I see the model... I can never really decide if I like it or not. Yeah, I've noticed that with a lot of recent GW releases where you can't really tell how good a model looks, or vice versa, uh, until they release it on the website and they do that 3D image. Because exactly. some angles just look really rough on otherwise good models. And even though, like, I uh, I go to our lo local, it's about an hour away, GW store, because it's near one of our shops. I go there, and a lot of times Brian will have some of the newer stuff, or there'll be just somebody there now that people are allowed back in store building some of the newer kits right. so I can see them and that really helps me and generally I like most of the kits that I see that way. I'm hoping the new Emperor's Champion is going to be that way because it's always been one of my favorite models. You know, you had the third edition, look at my sword. Yeah. And and then the, the cooler like fifth edition where he's just got it out in challenge. But, you know, I'm a Black Templar player from third edition when I saw Codex Armageddon and I was like, oh, yeah. Get that, uh, <laughs> I'm getting those guys. Get that Blanchitsu art on the front of the, <sighs> the third yeah. edition box set and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that. I was like, okay, that's cool. Those guys look cool. I started with Ultramarines, even though that was a box of Black Templars. And then as soon as the um, Codex Armageddon came out, I'm like, yeah, we're repainting this. We're repainting all of this. Yeah. Black and white. Very notoriously easy to paint over <sighs> blue. Yeah, well, not even going to get started there. Yeah. Well, the black uh, would be easy, at least. Yeah, the black is easy, but it's not easy to hide. Black is hard to do well. Mm -hmm. I'm not very good at No, black and, black and white, that's the sign of you becoming a pretty decent painter, is when you can do yeah. those well. 
yeah, so that's that's a tooltip for another day. Right? Yellow is the tippy top echelon, but I, yeah. I yellow's actually not that bad anymore. They they've got some pretty good paints now from at least from GW. I don't I'm I use almost exclusively GW, so I don't really know about Vallejo and all that. I I do as well. I, I use the occasional Vallejo, but man, Avalon Sunset is a fantastic yellow. It's such a good yellow. You just base, base coat with Avaland and then Uriel yeah. and Flash gets on top of that, you're good to go. Highlight with a little bit of screaming skull. Yeah, it's just it's a good clean yellow. And then uh, the last last bit of hobby progress I had is my comically large battle foam case arrived. Woo! Um, I'm pretty sure I could smuggle a like a small human in it. Oh yeah, that's what mine's like. It's it's got the 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 three trays and the bottom one. I just hollowed out all the foam for taking big stuff like my loon shrine, and I I could probably smuggle a toddler if I ever needed to. Oh no, like I, I could I could steal a middle schooler. Oh God! I do not condone stealing children. Yeah, ch- children should disclaimer. be left alone with their parents. Don't don't steal them. But got that. Uh, so I've also finished magnetizing. Every Skaven model I have is now magnetized. So I've magnetized two hundred and twenty mm. some odd rats mm. plus a bunch of monsters. And I also, because I had magnets left, magnetized the null holes because yeah. they're going to be in the case. So yeah, why, why not? not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, but I think that's most of my hobby progress. I've uh, I ordered. Ordered a warp lightning cannon, and I think that'll round out the rest of my list for this open. So we'll see. We'll find out. Uh, did you get any? Did you get any games in? I know you weren't able to make it out of the shop on Sunday with us, but did you play any on anything else? I did not. Uh, my time has been uh, uh, between playing uh, Fallout seventy six because I'm, I it was super cheap, and I was like, hell with it, I'll buy it for ten dollars. And now they got oh, it. Man. To- they got it to the point where it's moderately okay. I still wouldn't yeah. say I wouldn't say it's a good game, but it's also not a bad game anymore. But uh, yeah. I got sidetracked from that because uh, a game I've been waiting for for literally 16 years finally came out. Motherfucking Psychonauts 2. So uh, oh, it did drop, didn't it? But yeah, so no Warhammer, no Age of Sigmar. Uh, I I have been in a video game slash model building spree, and that's been about it. Okay, I uh, I managed to get one game in against Ben. Uh, he was running a rough draft of his Flesh Eater list for Orlando. Oh, he decided on Orlando. Oh, geez, New Orleans. <laughs> I was about to say, we oh, missed that one. <laughs> we missed that one. That was last week. Sorry, I had I had the thing pulled up on my phone. I looked and I was like, Orlando. It's cool. You'd have to pay me to go to Florida. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be hot enough in New Orleans. I don't oh, want to no. be in Orlando right now. I so think, oof. Yeah, so he decided on Flesh Eaters instead of a Stormcast, yeah? I believe so. Uh, I think it depends on when that book drops, but right now he's been running Flesh Eaters. Okay. Uh, running, like, the the Arch Regents and two big ghoul blocks of 40 ghouls. Sounds right. He was running a, a whole bunch of, I don't know, Terrorgeist, Flaregeist, Cryptgeist, Crypt Flayers, whatever they are. The big dudes that have wings that yell at my rats and my rats run away. <laughs> a bunch of those. Those right. are terrifying. Uh, I'll uh, have to see about getting a game in with him this Sunday. But, uh, yeah, so... I ran a, a bunch of clan rats and then just a couple of other little stuff as placeholders. But the star of that show was Thankful and Bone Ripper. Uh, in two shooting phases, he killed 80 ghouls. Whoa. So he has uh, these warp fire throwers on him. And if you have four of them, you measure each model that's within eight inches of him in the target unit. And you roll one die for each warp fire thrower he has. So he has four of them. So his 40-man block of ghouls, I was rolling 160 dice, and every four-up is a mortal wound. Wow. It was like, that squad's dead. That squad's dead. That is, that's an amazing horde killer. It is, but he is only bravery seven. Okay, good. He is only a four-up save. How many wounds? 
14, I believe. So that's 13 that's, or 14. That's really tough, but that's not unkillable, especially if it's you have. It's definitely like, not unkillable. If you have a lot of shooters or a lot of infantry, or infantry, if you have a lot of magic, so you can arcane bolt yeah. them down. Now, he that's is killable. very, very good at anti magic. Oh, okay. um, oh yeah, because he's, he's got. Yeah, because yeah, th- Thankful, the, the, the Gracier of the Skaven, rides on the biggest thing Clan Mulder has ever created, kitted out with the strongest creations Clan Scryer has ever made. The only thing that would make it better is if there was, like, a little Eshin sorcerer on it teleporting the bastard around. I was just saying, if Thanquil just had one fucking huge ninja star he could throw. <laughs> yeah, he had the, um... No, if he just had the the stiletto that the Vermin Lord Deceiver has. Well, that, that would be like a, a two-handed sword for him. <laughs> right. His fucking, now, he, has his, a, he has a magic stick. His Eshin Claymore, yeah. <laughs> Very ninja. He, when he's unwounded, he has plus two to casting and dispelling rolls, and he can eat a piece of warp stone when he casts a spell, and you roll 3d6 and drop the low... Oh, roll 3d6 and drop one of them. So so Daddy Gracier eats his cocaine, and he can do <laughs> magic better for a little bit. But if you roll exactly 13 on those three dice, the spell automatically succeeds, can't be unbound, and he takes, I think, d3 mortal wounds. That's very Skaven and also incredibly unlikely, but yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. 13 on 3d6 isn't super unlikely. I am not a statistician, but if someone is, write us. That's our social media will eventually make. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think 12 is the average. Okay. That, yeah, that's not terrible. Because 7 on 2d6. So 12, like 12, 12.5 is the average. Sure. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, that, we're I'll gonna take go your word for it. it. You might be marginally better. Locking it better. in. Final answer. You might be marginally better at math than me, which is not saying a lot. <laughs> ouch. No, I mean that, that was more of an ouch for me, my dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, also in that one, the storm fiends. <laughs> you saw what those storm fiends could do. Yeah, those weren't fun. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, they're even scarier once they lock into close combat with the uh, grinder fists. Because mm. I looked at a zombie dragon, went, I need to kill that. Shot most of it away, charged it, and then just clubbed it to death. And Ben was like, what the fuck? But, uh, so my Skaven, to prove just how swingy this army is, in the three true game, like, true games I've played with this Skaven list, I'm not counting the the weird janky one we played on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, it was a weird thing. Yeah. But it, against the Flesh Eaters, I won one very handedly Sunday. I lost one massively a couple of weeks ago, and in the game versus you, it was very close. Yeah. So it's a real swingy list, but everything's D6-based. It's a dice-rolling game, so what can you really expect? But uh, I fun. like it. It's fun. It's hilarious. Uh, I haven't had any of my stuff blow itself up yet, so that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> having, having played that speed wall list where all of my stuff blew up, <laughs> and which made more of my stuff blow up, it's really fun oh when it God. happens, let me tell you. That, that ca- just the cascading rolling failures that just cord your army was hilarious dice like ice baby <laughs> it, was, it was the most orc thing i've ever seen oh no it's it's that's why i love orcs they'll either completely stomp your dick in and win like 50 victory points over what you got or lose so incredibly spectacularly there is no in between but yeah that's uh that's the only game i got in unfortunately this week well more than me so there you go fair enough all right so we're gonna move on into our first segment and, you know, I've been in the hobby for 20-some-odd years. Andrew's been in it for, what, about 10, give or take? Uh, Almost exactly 10, yeah. it was. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was 2011 when I started. Let's see, there we go. So, through that time, we've uh, both consumed a fairly decent amount of fluff and lore and background stories and favorites. So, we want to talk about our 
top three favorite characters from Warhammer 40k Horus Heresy era? Just this general overarching Warhammer lore. Not, yeah, not going into Fantasy or Age of Sigmar. Yeah, we've done a lot of Fantasy and Age of Sigmar. We're kind of a split podcast with just all GW stuff, so we're going we're gonna to dial it and go headlong in for our 40K folks. So, Andrew, why don't you take it away? No particular order unless you want to. Give me, give me one of your picks. All right, so uh, when Tony told me about this topic, I immediately went with three ge- green skins and then decided, eh, it's a big universe. I'll branch out a bit. So and there's two, lots of orcs in that big universe. Two, two of these green skins are going to be honorable mentions. I picked the best one. You probably know what it is, but I'm not there yet. Um, so I was thinking uh, with this pick, uh, he's a cool character overall, uh, but I wanted to pick something that's kind of... Uh, indicative of the overall fucking craziness of the Warhammer universe, just kind of that that 80s metal mentality where, you know, crank it up to 11, everything smothered in skulls and chrome and crazy bullshit. Uh, so I went with Karn the Betrayer. <laughs> J- just just a, a, a blender of blood and gore and destruction. But he didn't start that way. He's actually a, a pretty interesting character when you read into the Horus Heresy stuff. Um, unfortunately, he and the World Eaters all suffer from them not knowing if the Horus Heresy books were actually really going to go anywhere. So they kind of got their story out of the way fairly quickly. But what story yeah. there is of him and Angron and the world leader eaters in general is pretty decent. Um, so Karn's interesting because he is Terran born. So he's actually born on earth to the original barbarian tribes back before the emperor really took over everything. Um, back when he, the world eaters were called the war hounds uh, before they were handed over to Angron. So he's part of the war hounds before Angron took it over and changed legion to the world eaters. When Angron was uh, kind of kidnapped, I guess is the best word for uh, what the emperor did to him. Unlike all the other primarchs where emperor came down and was like, let's have an eating contest or I'll wrestle you. He's like, no, <laughs> fuck you. I don't give a shit if your friends die. You're coming to war. And, s- yeah. and so he did. Um, Right, rightfully so, Angron was incredibly pissed about this, and he hated all of his legionnaires for a while. He thought they were all honorless cowards, and just, you know, he wanted to die in the fighting pits with his fellow slaves. It's a whole other story. I suggest you look it up. Maybe we'll talk about it again later. If not, whatever. Uh, so anytime anybody was sent in to try and, like, calm him down, he would just straight fucking murder them. Uh, he would just beat them to within an inch of their life until they begged for mercy, and then he would break their necks because Angron is Angron. Uh, and then Karn is like, all right, all right, I'll give it a try. And he goes in, and this motherfucker has just balls of brass. He doesn't He doesn't give him an inch. He takes his beating like uh, the, the, the gene-enhanced man he is, I guess. Uh, Car- uh, 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 Angron's at telling him to beg for mercy and he just refuses to and this goes on for god knows how long they don't really describe it super well in the book but he never gives in he never asks for mercy and Angron's like alright maybe some of these guys aren't complete douchebags I'll let you live for now bud and so he becomes Angron's equerry which if you don't know what that is it's kind of a combination like squire major domo second in command kind of guy uh, he becomes captain of the eighth chapter, I think, of uh, the the World Eaters. Um, he ends up becoming literally the only person who can ever calm Angron down, if because he's up, you know, prone to fly into rages. Who'd have thought? Uh, the what? guy, Why? the guy who has uh, archaeo tech in his brain that makes him angry all the time, or he feels sad. <laughs> um, he, you're either going to be pissed and in a rage, and that's the only way you can feel happiness, or you'll be depressed for the rest of your life. Yay! Um, um, but so whenever Angron's like, oh, we'll, we'll go do a suicide charge and kill these guys. 
Karn's like, hang on, might not be the best idea, hang on. <laughs> and so he's the only one that Angron will ever really listen to. Let's see. Uh, he's initially a good influence on Angron, but Angron's tendencies do tend to rub off on him after a point, and like the rest of the World Eaters, he gets the Butcher's Nails implanted in his brain, which, like I just said, are pieces of technology that amp up your rage and make you a crazier fighter, make it where you can't feel pain as much, makes it where you get uh, positive feel-good juice every time you commit a murder, which is really <laughs> just, just the best thing to ever do. I mean, it's great if you're a genetically enhanced super soldier. Uh, so he falls down the path of the Berserker like Angron does, eventually joins the Horus Heresy, uh, and is thought to be killed during uh, the Istvan Massacre, where there's a loyalist hanging out. Uh, Loken, one of the main characters of the Horus Heresy, throws him in front of a fucking dozer on on a tank, and he gets crushed, and everybody's like, shit, well, that's that's Karn dead, he's gone. And then, a little bit later, Karn's just kind of like, nope, uh, I got better, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> so, incredible badass, continuing to take a beating, just like a superhuman could. Skipping ahead a little bit, he fights thousands of battles. Horus Heresy's crazy. Uh, Angron eventually breaks one of his chain axes, and he's like, well, I'm getting rid of this. And then Karn's like, hey, I'll keep that. And so he gets up the Primark-sized chain gla- or chain axe known as Gore Child, and he's like, ah, man, my boss broke the teeth on it. So he goes and finds these giant wild beasts called Mica <laughs> Dragons and crushes all of their skulls and takes their teeth to replace the, the, the chain axe teeth because teeth uh, and so now he has like these diamond hard teeth on this chain axe so it's even more powerful than it was before uh skipping ahead even a little bit more motherfucker is the first one through the gate during the siege of terra when they spend months breaking down the walls and the gates to get to the emperor and kill all the horrible loyalists he is the brass bald motherfucker he's always been and he charges straight into the fray and allegedly racks up the most kills of definitely the world eaters and possibly any of the the traitor space marines during the the siege of the horse heresy uh is found on a mountain of corpses dead because i mean he's the guy who's like hey this is a firefight let's charge in balls first and kill people with my axe it's warhammer i gotta get to them with my beaten stick corn the god of death and destruction and blood and skulls doesn't like that and so he says hey hang on all right you're better now don't be dead anymore and so he's not uh after, <laughs> after the siege of terror they flee back to the eye of terror you know, thousands of years, who knows, time is weird in the warp. Uh, the world eaters are continuing to butcher each other and everybody, uh, and he earns his moniker of the Betrayer by going to the Battle of Scalathrax, where he and his fellow world eaters are attacking the Emperor's Children Legion, uh, and this world is so brutal to live on that uh, even the Space Marines have to hunker down for the night because it's so cold that even, even these incredibly in- advanced genetic super soldiers will freeze to death. Uh, Karn, being at this point a blood-crazed berserker, does not like this, and so he grabs a flamer and torches everything, where he's like, cool, everything's warm enough for us to fight now. Problem is, being a blood-crazed berserker, he torches a lot of his buddies and a lot of Emperor's children and a lot of houses that people are spending the night in and a lot of (laughs) barrackses and just generally kills everything that hoves into his range of vision. Uh, and so, uh, the World Eaters Legion breaks up because of that, because it just kind of like, it's the final push to make them all just go full, complete blood craze berserker. Uh, and so there is no World Eaters Legion anymore. It's just war bands who go just completely bugfuck crazy and kill everything possible. Which, speaking of, uh, very early on in the Horus Heresy, Karn had a kill counter implanted in his helmet, which 
as it says, keeps track of all the people he straight fucking murders. And at this point in the uh, dawn of the 41st millennium in the new, in the current lore, uh, he's said to be in the millions. So, <laughs> you know, keeping with the, the eighties, ramping it up to 11 vibe, just this guy is, uh, as ludicrous as it is physically possible to be. He is, he is blood and guts and skulls and gore just personified. And I, it's, he's, he's a quintessential Warhammer character. Shame his, uh, kill counter isn't like in a, like in a Dodge pickup, when you hit that millionth mile, it just rolls back to zero. It probably did, like, three times <laughs> already. Um, and another fun fact, uh, I forget which language it is, but it's some Arabic language. Uh, Karn literally means betrayer. So for uh, Arabic Warhammer players, his name is Betrayer the Betrayer. Betrayer the Betrayer. <laughs> uh, so, Tony, uh, let's uh, keep it rolling. Tell me, tell me what your first character is for your favorites of Warhammer 40k. All right, so... Uh... As Andrew is an orc player, I am an Imperial Guard and Black Templar player, and that's about to be reflected a bunch. And since you started off with Karn, uh, I'm going to go with one of his bestest battle buddies, Sigismund, the first captain of the Imperial Fists, the first Emperor's Champion, the first Son of Dorne, and the leader of the Black Templars. And a bit of a spoiler, one of the only guys to whip Karn's ass in one-on-one combat. Yeah. So Sigismund, he was the first captain of the Imperial Fist Legion, which was Dorne's Legion, you know, the Yellow Boys, and the Great Crusade, through the Heresy, all through that. He is one of the Terran-born Space Marines, which makes him super, super rare. Um, though a, dis- a decent part of the Imperial Fist were Terran-born and from Inuit and stuff like that. But nevertheless, Terran-born Space Marines are, are fairly rare in the grand scheme of things. He was the pinnacle of Ultimate Swordsman. Like, where Karn was pure power and just rage, Sigismund took everything head-on and was just a blade master. Like, he he could almost best Dorn. He fought multiple Primarchs in duels and, and did very, very well on it. But one of the cool parts is uh, Sigismund and the Imperial Fist, specifically the Templar Brethren, which is what the first company of the Imperial Fist were called, fought alongside the World Eaters a lot. To the point where they actually refer to each other as battle brothers, which usually they would call each other cousins. <laughs> but specifically for them to call each other brothers and for the roided out butcher nail crazy people to be like, hey, these guys fight pretty good. That's that's a pretty high accolade coming from them. But Sigismund and Karn dueled in the pits all the time, back and forth. They would, you know, one would win one, one would win the other, over and over again. And if you look at any of the Black Templar stuff, especially now that all the new Black Templar stuff is going to start coming out, you'll see they've got these chains on them. Uh, what are they actually calling them on here? Uh, he calls them devotion chains. I was when they're guess on the Black Templars. Because that's a very yeah, space no, marine. Devotion chains. But that actually ties back to the World Eater fighting pits. The tradition of using chains to bind weapons was like started by them. And it kind of spread to other legions a little bit. But since the space, the, the Templar Brethren of the Imperial Fists fought with the World Eater so much, it was kind of an honorary thing that they would all do so they would never drop their weapon. So they, the Imperial Fists were a big thing in the Siege of Terra, 
Uh, I'm not going to go a whole lot into details because the Siege of Terra series is still currently ongoing. So I'm not going to go into a lot of what happens with Sigismund on the back end of the Heresy and there. Uh, functionally, he was disowned by Dorne at one point because he believed the Emperor was a divine being. Uh, eventually, when Dorne was kind of like, oh shit, maybe he was right, he was kind of brought back into the fold. So... Dorne actually singled out Sigismund to be the Emperor's champion, the personal champion of the Emperor. He was given his blessings to his armor and his war gear, and he literally had Sigismund change his heraldry to black to show that he served the Emperor and not the Legion. So he did it, and then he, he was kind of upset about it because he didn't want to obscure the colors of his Legion, but it was a very high place of honor. He single-handedly held uh, one of the wall breaches. He stepped into the breach and single-handedly held it against just waves of traitor legions coming after him. And even when Dorne like, popped up to the Vengeful Spirit with uh, the Emperor and Sanguinius to fight Horus, Sigismund was left in charge of the entire defense of Terra. Like, he was the guy, and was still just shoulder-deep, just cutting through heretics. After that, when Emperor was mortally wounded, and they came up with the Codex Astartes, and it was broken down for the second founding, he took the entire first company, and became the Black Templars. They adopted his heraldry, the, the classic black arm you see, white shoulder pads with the Maltese cross on them, and undertook a never-ending crusade to hunt down and chase all the traitors who attacked Terra. So literally, he just went ramping through the galaxy, challenging the biggest and baddest chaos warriors, demons, demon princes, everything, to single combat and just bested champion after champion after champion until uh, let's see it was about 500 years after he was finally laid low he finally lost to abaddon this big back and forth fight and abaddon straight up cuts him in half with the talon of horus but sigismund got in the most badass last words ever and it was you will die as your weakling father died mm -hmm. soulless honorless, weeping, and ashamed. That is a, that's a space marine burn. Right? Uh, and, of course, to stick with the weapons theme, you know, there was Gorchaw by Karn. Sigismund had the coolest sword ever. It was the Black Sword. It was this weird, giant, two-handed sword that was the height of a space marine and was just this matte black blade that was said to be able to cut through anything. It could cut through metal, stone, and armor without even marring the blade. It's actually still carried by the Emperor's champions when they become an Emperor's champion and have their crazy vision and they take up the black sword and the armor that's got shards of Dorne's armor in it and all that, and they'll go hunting, because there's only ever one Emperor's Champion for each Crusade of the Templars, which the, the Templars are broken into all these little Crusade fleets, and even if there's an Emperor's Champion, the one that fights with uh, Helbrecht and all of them from their flagship, it's uh, that's the one that wields that black sword. There are other black swords, which are weapons of masterwork quality, they're just known as black swords, that other Emperor's Champions take. But the Emperor's Champion, whoever is in uh, Grimaldus or Helbrecht's Crusade, has Sigismund's Blade. So he is the he's, Champion he's, of Champions. He's the badass. He is the badass. Uh, 
like it was on I've seen the model what? before but when it, just describing it being like the height of a space marine I'm just it I'm flip-flopping between either Guts's sword from Berserk or just like a Buick with a handle Yeah I think it's more of a Buick with a handle Yeah but I mean it's you know they're they're superhuman and they just he wields it like it's a saber almost as quickly as he moves it Yeah it's, he, yeah cuz yeah physics <laughs> your 9 foot long sword <laughs> Uh, superhuman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, I just, just spent five minutes ranting about car, and we don't have to worry about yeah. realism. <laughs> all right, all right, teeth axe guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he go and crush the skulls of dragons to get their teeth. It's it's right. sci fantasy for those of you who don't know. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, the weirdest part about it is if the Black Sword and the Emperor's Champion falls in battle, it does not matter what the other objective is, it then becomes retrieve those artifacts. Because Black Templars are religious zealots. Like, they are your crusading Knights Templar, basically, on Holy Crusades. They take uh, vows of everything. They pray just as much as they train. But uh, the Black Sword was almost lost one time at the fall of Hell's Reach on Armageddon by, uh, I believe the Emperor's Champion name was Bayern. And he, he was killing hundreds of orcs before they could drag him down like i think when he finally went down he was missing one leg one arm most of his face and had been impaled by like 14 or 15 spears and was still just like just chopping and lopping like it was his job <laughs> so uh so let's roll into your next one there andrew uh, all right well uh continuing the theme of the allegedly rare terran born space marines <laughs> i'm gonna go to uh <laughs> nathaniel garrow uh, the cool ones are born on Terra. yeah all so. the cool guys are from earth uh, but he is not <laughs> just not us. He's not world eaters. He's not imperial fists. This one is a death guard, uh, and this is before they got fucking gross. <laughs> um, yeah. So he was uh, one of the original dusk raiders back before Mortarian was uh, uh, taken by the emperor to, to take charge of his legion. They were called the dusk raiders. They had um, kind of like a, a, a dusky gray armor until Mortarian took them over and then they were forced to paint it white. Uh, their whole shtick was raiding at dusk. Very literal name. Uh, so that way the sun would be in the eyes of whoever they were attacking. They would always attack from the west or, you know, whatever direction your star was on whatever planet they were on. He's he's one of, like, the OG Death Guard, where uh, he's, he's loyal to the Emperor and not to Mortarion, which is a really big thing, because he is one of, like... I don't know, five Death Guard that end up staying loyal during the Horus Heresy. When the Istvan Dropsite Massacre happens, uh, when when Angron is down there going crazy and killing people, he's up in a spaceship called the Eisenhorn. Uh, or, sorry, <laughs> Eisenhorn. The, the Eisenstein. Yeah, I was like, wait a second, that seems wrong. It is wrong, and you can keep that in because I'm stupid sometimes. Uh, he is up in orbit in a ship called the Eisenstein, uh, looking down over this, getting his orders from Mortaria and being like, yo, don't, don't, don't fucking move. You stay here and you shoot anybody that flees. And he's like, huh, this is a bad time. I'm, uh, I'm gonna flee. And so he goes into the warp, uh, gets shot as he's entering the warp. So their, their ship is all fucky when they're in warp space. And so they're having to kill demons and all kinds of crazy shit. They're trying to flee back to Terra to get the word out about the Horus Heresy, because this is, this is unheard of. At this point, there's been no such thing as Chaos Space Marines. They were just Space Marines, and they were all loyal to the Emperor until right now. And so, eh, like a book and a half of them just dicking around in the warp, they eventually get back to, to Soul System, Earth, uh, and they land on Luna, which, you know, the moon. Uh, at that point, it's a really big 
space station essentially it's a it's a dockyard for space vessels uh one of the biggest planetary defense areas for earth and they eventually uh enter real space uh and are picked up by the phalanx which is uh primarch dorn and the imperial fists like big space base essentially yeah it's basically the death star but bigger it's death star but but good in quotes uh they get picked up by the phalanx oh that's a whole topic for another time that we're not getting into right now they're they're objectively the good guys of the setting and that is saying a lot (laughs) (laughs) i was talking more about the fact that the empire is the bad guys in the setting oh oh we'll get into star wars on a completely different one yeah anyway they're picked up by the phalanx (laughs) Um, which has Rogel Dorn on it at the time in the Imperial Fist. And they're like, yo, Death Guard, uh, the fuck are you doing way out here? Um, there's also some Emperor's children on the ship because of events from the, the story, yada, yada, yada. So they're like, why are these these assholes floating around in space? You're supposed to be hanging out on like the other side of the galaxy. And, and they bring him in front of Rogel Dorn, the fucking Primarch himself, which is a big thing at that point. And mm-hmm. Nathaniel Garrow, uh, also yet another brass-balled individual of the Space Marine variety, is like, yo, uh, your brother, the greatest among you, Horus, uh, betrayed the Emperor, and Rogaldorn is like a hair's breadth away from just straight fucking murdering him for even saying that, because at this point, Horus is like the most beloved, the most loyal, the most look up, looked up to Primarch. Like, he is he is the exemplar of what it is to be from Earth. He is, he's, he is the golden child. And so to even, like, joke about the fact that he would betray the Emperor is enough to, to send his brother into a fucking rage uh but he's uh, i believe it's actually sigismund and a few others are able to like hey yo don't kill him he we sense truth in his words horrible though they are and so they're eventually able to calm darn down and go yeah actually your brother is committing treason against the emperor uh and so on the phalanx they re-enter the warp and they head back to Earth to just, you know, kind of immediately shore up the defenses, uh, try and suss out what exactly is going on, if this is actually happening. They bring Nathaniel Garrow back to to Luna, the big space base there. It's a... It, it's like Super Death Star. It's like the Phalanx, but even better. Uh, yeah. And they made it into a big spaceport. All the ships come to dock there. Uh, and they essentially imprison Garrow on the moon. They're like, yo... We're not going to kill you, although we really want to, because we still don't necessarily trust your words, even though you think they're true. But you got to hang out here. Uh, eventually, the Emperor does figure it out after the Istvan dropsite massacre. Go to Garo, and they're like, well, you're from a traitor legion. you got to hang out here. Like, you know, thanks for giving us the news, but mm, we don't trust you. You're in prison now. And then Malkador the Sigilite's like, no, this guy's a brass-balled motherfucker among brass-balled motherfuckers, motherfucker. He's going to be my personal guy. And so he essentially, like, takes Nathaniel Garrow under his wing, and he's like, all right, you're going to do some shit for me, and we're going to get shit done in the Empire. Uh, shit's falling apart in the Imperium of Man. And as obvious from the fact that Horus has betrayed his father, so you're going to do shit for me. So what Malkador the Sigilite does is he essentially, as the Horus heresy is going on, because you got to remember the Horus heresy really only takes place over like four or five years. It's it's really fast in terms of like Warhammer lore. Um, he has Nathaniel Garrow going around the galaxy, picking up like the best of the best. He's like... Um, legions of uh, uh traitors and people from from loyalists he doesn't care he just wants he wants the people who are loyal to the emperor who have like the willpower to survive anything essentially um let's see if i can find their names real quick uh da, 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 da. 
Are you talking the names of the knights? Yeah, so essentially he slowly gathers up what becomes the beginnings of the Grey Knights. He gets uh, a guy from the Word Bearers. He gets a guy from the Custodes. He gets a guy from the World Eaters, the White Scars. He gets a couple of uh, non-Space Marines. He gets actual humans. Uh, and he, he, he forges like the origins of what becomes the Grey Knights. Oh, here we go. Uh, Tylos Rubio, Marcer Varen. Oh, Garviel Loken. Oh yeah, this is after Loken goes crazy for like thirty books. It I I skimmed through a lot of the Horus Heresy novels. So needless to say, he gathers a lot of Space Marines with silly names, and they forge what becomes the Grey Knights, who before the Primaris Marines were the most badass Space Marines of all. They had to have you know Will of Iron, be able to withstand psychic barrages from demons and shit, withstand the temptations of demons, and so he's he's one of like the pillars of that uh, particular order. Uh, he like he's able to withstand like Nurgle's rot and a bunch of other like warp spawn stuff because yeah. because remember he's a Death Guard, so Nurgle really wants him. He's like haha. It would be, you know, the best thing. I've already corrupted your legion, but you're the one who withstood. Now, if I can get you, and he's like, nah, fuck you, Nurgle, and just does that for the rest <laughs> of his his life. And so, on top of uh, being the bearer of bad news for the Horus Heresy, he just continues to be a biggest brass balls motherfucker that's ever existed, and just just founded one of the most powerful orders in Warhammer 40k. The end. <laughs> they just got a new codex. They did. I forgot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, looking real quick to see if he had a particularly badass death or not. I'm trying to remember. Do, 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 do. You know, I don't really know how. I think he just kind of fucks off into infamy. I think it's one of those things where it's like he went off to fight a demon, but then he disappeared. Yeah, he followed them into the Eye of Terror along with 64% yeah. of all characters in 40k lore. Uncertain fate, Garrow's fate in the wake of, wake of the Horus Heresy is not currently known, though there are several conflicting stories. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kirill Sinderman, a future Inquisitor, described him as the first true martyr of the Church of the God Emperor. Uh, conflicting testimonies claim that Garrow variously remained imprisoned with the Seventy until his death, went on to serve as the Master Apothecarate to try and cure Nurgle's rot, Apoth followed by fellow Eisenstein survivor... Uh, there's also the theory that he still lives into the 41st millennium and commands an elite task force clad in the colors of the pre-heresy death guard, or that he was ultimately possessed by Nurgle. I mean... <laughs> That's I read quite the gamut of things that could have happened. Yeah, really... Uh, One of the things happened to him. Yeah, something happened and it was probably cool. We're not sure what. <laughs> but that's Nathaniel... He's either alive or he's dead. Yeah. Or he's imprisoned. Yeah. Or he's corrupted. Or he's changed his name. Or he's missing. Or he's a god. Or he's not. I don't know. That's Nathaniel Garrow, uh, another among a list of space marines who did incredible things. So uh, I, think, uh, I think I've talked enough about space marines for a moment. So I'm going to go with my next choice. Probably my favorite character in all of the lore between 40k, fantasy, everything. Uh, to the point where... I was so happy that I won a local auction to get his original model. I can't wait to go pick that up. Ooh. I can't wait to do a cool classic throwback scheme on it. And that is the hero of Hades Hive, Commissar Sebastian Yarick himself. The old man. The old man. The grand old man. He is, without a doubt, the most badass human who has ever lived. Like, this dude is the pinnacle of 
of Imperial Hero. Badass enough that he was on my list until Tony said he's on his, and I'm like, shit, who can I throw on here? Aha, Nathaniel Garrow. Yeah, also pretty badass. But Yarick pretty much single-handedly saved Armageddon in the first war, and was a real big part of it in the second war as well. Um, let me go ahead and stop. Oh, you, I'm sorry. It's the second in the and third second wars. war and the third war. The first war was against demons. I know. I misspoke. I apologize. You, you can't. You can't tell. But I'm pushing up my glasses and and, and getting my pocket protector. So he fought in the second and third war for Armageddon. Uh, in the first one, he was the hero of Hades Hive. The second one was a big bit with Hades Hive and Hell's Reach. But I'll get into that in a bit. So, the orcs attacked the planet of Armageddon. The PDF, bunch of Steel Legion, were all defending. Uh, at this point, most of the Adeptus Astartes, the Space Marines, hadn't arrived yet. It was just good old human will against dirty, dirty greenskins. So, Gazgul is uh, the big orc warlord. Everybody knows him. He's got a big... Big model, big claws, big hands, little head. It's weird. I don't know orcs. And if you get, it, if you get his old metal model and put it in a sock, you could probably kill a man with it. <laughs> you could very easily kill him. I don't know, man. The new one's big enough. You could probably still. It do doesn't it. have the mass, though. I've had them both, and the metal one is legitimately like a pound mm. of pewter. <laughs> yeah. So Yarick is literally he is the imperial hero. He held out on a Hades hive, which is one of the main hive cities on Armageddon, which Armageddon is. It's functionally a death world because it's a hive world that the entire planet is toxic. And not, not quite a full-blown forge world, but it has huge production places, too. Like, yeah, it's not, pr- it's not owned by the Admech, but there's a lot of industry on it. Yeah, it, uh, it, it specializes in Prometheum. It is one of the big Prometheum distributors? Producers? Manufacturers? I don't know. Producers? Sure. One of the biggest Prometheum planets in that entire sector, and losing it would be a crippling blow to the Imperium. So... Gazgol's like, ooh, they're going to defend that. I want to fight. We're going there. So Gazgol attacks the planet, comes down. Uh, there, He wants to take out Hive Hades because that's one of the primary hives on uh, Armageddon. So he sends everything there. He's just determined to crush this place. In the fight, there's Yarick is just on the front lines fighting, keeping up morale. Just orcs are falling under him. And Gazgol's like, mm, they're holding out there. I'm gonna send, uh, I'm gonna send my badass to it, which was this snake bite. Uh, what is his Warboss name? Warboss Olgard. Olgard, that's right. I wanted to say Olga, but I knew that wasn't right. Yeah, he sent I, Warboss Olgard. I have it was, in my notes, but I knew that one like yeah. the back of my hand because I like this story. If, uh, old Bailey on Warhammer Plus is fantastic. It's pretty solid. I we'll we'll talk it. about it after we're done with our character thing. Oh yeah. So he sends a. Uh, he sends this, basically his second, one of his seconds in command, to go take this down. He sees this commissar with this big pointy hat leading from the front, goes to kick his ass. Goes, it's a good fight, but the orc gets a good claw and just lops off one of Yarick's arms. Starts taunting him in that, and Yarick's like, oh no, fuck this. Comes up and returns the favor by removing the power claw that removed his own arm. Then when the orc reels back, he straight decapitates him. And then, with his good hand, picks up this orc's power claw, taunting the other orcs, who promptly flee. Because, you know, they just saw the guy that they thought was unbeatable just get beaten by a human, which is huge. Oh, yeah. 
especially one who uh, will we'll, we'll reel it back a bit in the lore. He's old at this point. Literally yeah, the yeah, day... He's, he's not a young Literally guy. the day Gazgul attacked was supposed to be the day he retired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Oh, yeah. Three days from retirement. Oh. Yeah. Too old for this shit. Yeah. So, so Yarick is just... He's had the crap beaten out of him. He's missing an arm. Uh, Battlefield legend has it that only after the orc assault was routed by the blood angels and Dante coming down and routing and basically pulling everything away from Hades hive. Only then did Yarick quote, allow himself the luxury of passing out. Well, you know, he's old. He's, his blood's not pumping as quickly as it used to be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So at that point, orcs are just terrified of this guy. Like he now has a little bit of that legend growing with him. And so to exploit this, he replaces the, the the missing bit of his arm. Instead of getting a normal bionic, he puts a fucking orc power claw on he puts it. puts the orc power claw, the one that took yeah, his not arm. Just it, yeah, the, yeah, the orc power claw from the war boss he bested. And his eye was also damaged in that fight as well. So the whole thing was there was a superstition he could kill them with a glance. So he replaced his eye with a fucking laser uh in the lore it works like a hotshot last gun so it's borderline useless but that's not the point he has a fucking laser eye so after that uh he ends up like there's another big fight on golgotha which is uh space hulk he gets he, he long i'm not gonna go into it because i could, we could go on about this guy for for hours. we could do like a six hour show on just yarik yeah, long, so long story short gasgul flees yeah. the battle because he knows it's gonna lose uh yarik pursues mm -hmm. and then gets captured by gasgul yeah then and he gets captured gets brought aboard uh their big space hulk and just basically leads a prisoner riot spartacus style and just tears up a bunch of shit and stuff like that gets to Gasgol and Gasgol lets him go. He has so much respect for Yarick because good enemies is hard to find that he wanted to release Yarick so he knew that he would keep having good fights because good fights make orcs bigger and stronger. And he's like, I'm never going to find somebody like this. So we're not, I'm not going to kill him. If I do capture him, I'm going to let him go. So he lets him go and then he comes, Gasgol comes back for Armageddon who, lo and behold... Yarick is there. He arrived a couple of weeks before the orc invasion began, so he can go ahead and start planning it. So to give the idea of the respect that Yarick commanded, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quickly list through all of the stuff on Armageddon. There was the fourth eighth, the uh, fourth Steel Legion, the eighth Super Heavy Tank Company, the Last Chancers, the Savlar Kim Dogs, the thirty fourth, fifty first, sixty first, sixty ninth, ninety first, ninety third, hundred and first, hundred and twenty first, hundred and twenty first armored, hundred and forty first, hundred ninety ninth armored, two hundred and seventy third, two hundred and seventy six, seven hundred and third divisions of Steel Legion, uh, a whole bunch of random militias, Armageddon orc hunters, uh, about twenty different other things that had anywhere between. Uh, a couple of squads to battalions to regiments of guard. More Imperial Navy elements that I can list. Seven companies of Angels of Fire. Four companies of Angels of Redemption. Six of Angels of Vengeance. Nine of Black Dragons. Three Crusades of Templars. A company of Blood Angels. Red Scorpions were there. Relictors were there. Silver Skulls were there. Sons of Gilliman. Space Wolves. Like, all these guys. And when it came to the defense of the planet, everyone was like, Yarick, we're all going to listen to him when he speaks because he knows what he is talking about. And remember, he's just a commissar. He's not even a commis yeah. commissar lord. Yeah. Commissar is a rank and file officer, which is really nothing special in Warhammer. Yeah. 
Like he was, he was the guy who's done it before, who had the respect from everything from grandmasters of space marine companies to like lord militant generals of imperial guard so they all defaulted to him and in the third war he was like the first thing he said was they're gonna nuke hades hive from orbit and like a lot of people were up in arms he's like no no they're gonna do it and so everyone was like okay we'll listen to you and lo and behold the orcs dropped a fucking rock on it they just nuked it from orbit because they didn't want the stain of their defeat to be there so most of the fighting there took place at hell's reach is what it's called so titan legions black templars they were all there fighting and everything was led and organized by yarick yarick's tool of war is one of the coolest things ever it is a customized bane blade super heavy tank called the fucking fortress of arrogance and i love the conversions i have seen of it's people so putting cool. his new resin model on top of it where he's got the pose where he's like drive them closer so i can hit them with my power claw <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's that's the main tool he takes into battle. Uh, of course, he's got his bail eye, his power claw. Other than that, he wears a little shield generator that is standard issue for guard, carapace armor, and a trench coat. Oh, and and this guy is oh, again such a ridiculously strong badass motherfucker. He uses a space marine bolt pistol, not a normal yeah. because they have different patterns for humans versus yeah. space marines. Because the kick is so bad, there's a really good chance it'll break your wrist. He ain't give a damn. He used the space marine version because it hits better. Yeah, like yeah, he he uses straight up a space marine bolt pistol. Which is the equivalent of like I don't know I'm gonna shoot like a howitzer with one hand. <laughs> yeah, he uh, it says he also opts for a Godwin Diaz, which I love, pattern Stormbolter as an additional firearm he carries somewhere. Yeah. and let's just touch on Godwin Diaz pattern as two of the greatest sculptors from GW history oh, yeah. are a pattern of Stormbolter. Oh, yeah. I love that little bit. So after all that, orcs flee. the The space war goes well. They drive the orcs back. And Yarick actually joins the Black Templars on a crusade to fucking hunt down Gazgul. Yep. He, he knows that Gazgul getting back out there is a bad thing, and he doesn't want it to happen again. Not Yarick and a bunch of Imperial Guardsmen and Steel Legion. Yarick and the Black Templars. That's a good band name, Yarick and the Templars. That's pretty solid, yeah. Andrew, we're starting a, a punk band called Yarick and the Templars. All right, I'll learn an instrument and grow, grow a mohawk. All right, cool. I'm going to have to learn how to play bass with a power claw. Well, that seems like a uh, a super good place for me to take over because, hey, my third character was Gazgul Mog Urukthraka, my favoritist orc. Uh, probably pretty much everybody's favoritist orc, with a couple of exceptions, which I guarantee are which are guarantee are in my honorable mentions. <laughs> so, reeling it back, like approximately 75-ish years from where Yark started off, uh... He starts off as just a golf boy. He's nothing special. He's just your basic run-of-the-mill six-plus armor save, four toughness at the time orc. Nothing special about him. Uh, they're on a planet, just a backwater piece of shit that the orcs call Urk. If you go into the wiki lore, it has a really long history. Eldar fight over it and Space Marines fight over it. Yada, yada, yada. We don't give a shit. At the time... There's a small Dark Angels outpost out there, pretty much just making sure that a war doesn't happen. Uh, they, they keep an eye on the local population of orcs and just to make sure that they don't get too big. Well, too fucking bad. The orcs attack and end up destroying the Dark Angels outpost. But in that particular uh, raid, Gazgul gets shot in the fucking head with a bolt gun. Like half of his skull is gone. 
but Orc. That's a repeating theme for Gasgol, is it not? Yeah, he's a lot of head drama in his life. He's had a, he's had a tough <laughs> life. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, gets half his head fucking blown off, essentially. He essentially scoops up his brains and shit and sort of slaps it back onto his skull and then goes back to their camp because Orc physiology is so ludicrously tough that that's fine. Uh, and he meets uh, another character who I love the lore of, but the model is always terrible and his rules always suck. Good old Death Skulls Doc Mad Doc Grotznik. I kind of like his old model because it's so doofy. Oh, it's so bad. It's it's hands down one of the worst models they still have for sale on the Games Workshop website. Um, anyway, goes to old Mad Duck Grotznik. Grotznik's like, ah, this seems like a good opportunity to do some weird, dumb, orky shit. Uh, and so uh, he does orc brain surgery essentially uh during the surgery allegedly a grot drops a biter squig into his brain pan uh, a couple of the grots end up vomiting in his skull uh and then grotznik reconstructs his skull with a plate of adamantium uh Gazgul wakes up from this surgery just fucking foaming at the mouth crazy he's got a plan he's seeing visions from the orc gods gork and mork and they are telling him to have the greatest wah the galaxy has ever seen which if you don't know orc stuff a wah is it's cockney for war but you say it really loud and long go like wah uh but from the old lore from the codexes it's essentially part crusade part pub crawl where you just go and you get up all the boys and you go and beat the shit out of everybody that's not green. And once they're out of people who aren't green, then you beat up the other green guys. Uh, but anyway, Gazgol is on a divine mission to have the biggest, biggest crusade in the galaxy, essentially. And so he starts kicking the shit out of all the local orcs, which that's how you get respect among the orcs. So he goes and finds the war boss of the local planet and he just headbutts the motherfucker to death then and there. And then all the other orcs are just like, ah, Okay, <laughs> you're the boss now. And he's like, damn right I am. Uh, and being on a shitty backward world, but, uh, sorry, backwater planet, uh, they're like, oh, well, you know, he's going to reunite all the orcs, but we're going to hang out here. Well, lucky timing, perhaps divine intervention, a space hole cruises into their system just as he finishes uniting all the clans on his planet. And he's like, hey, build me some fucking spaceships to get up there. And they're like, you got it, boss. So they build some ramshackle spaceships and go and take over this space hulk, which he dubs the World Eda. World spelled W-U-R-L-D because they're orcs and don't know how to spell good. Um... Or sorry, the world killer, not the world Eta. Same fucking difference. Um, they ride this Hulk around the warp, just kind of hoping something cool happens. Along the way, they kill gene stealers, they kill demons, just anything they find in your good old-fashioned average space Hulk until they eventually clear it out. And they're just on the edge of essentially having an orc civil war when they get spat out of the warp. And they come across armageddon and they commit the second war of armageddon they start throwing down rocks on the planet boys start hopping in their trucks when they land millions of orcs die in the crashes it's fine they don't care they got a million more boys to throw at everything and so they continue to kick the shit out of the hives of the armageddon it looks like it's going to be a steamroll. There's practically no resistance until they come across Commissar Sebastian Yark, the old man himself. Uh, cut back to the previous story with Tony. Arm gets cut off, gets his eye, uh, becomes the only human orcs really respect universally. Gasgol goes, well, shit, he stopped my invasion cold. There's space marines here now. I got to bail. So he bails, uh, gets back in the world killer and fucking leaves. And Yark's just like, well, okay. And so he chases him. 
meets him on a planet called Golgotha, as Tony said, captures him, Slave Rebellion happens. Uh, Gasgill has such a level of respect for him. He's like, hey, cool. All right, here's your arm and your eye and your cool hat. And uh, go back to Armageddon. I'm going to go fuck your shit up later. The Ark's like, all right, cool. See you later, dude. We'll fight in a bit. And that happens. Uh, so he spends a little bit of time gathering more forces, of course. He doesn't just come back with what little orcs he had. He gets these fun things called teleporters. Uh, so he's able to uh, deep strike his people onto the planet much more quickly and not have uh, uh, the humans figure out exactly where his rocks are coming from, which he still also does because they're orcs. Of course, they're going to throw rocks at stuff. Uh, Third War for Armageddon happens. Gazgul essentially starts a perpetual war. Like The Third War never really officially stops. Orcs are always attacking it because they know it's going to be a really good scrap. So if you can go to Armageddon and you can fight long enough, you're going to be a big, badass motherfucker orc. And then if you survive long enough to leave... You're essentially guaranteed to be a knob or a war boss in any other orc society, which is really big for orcs. Ha <laughs> literally. Uh, and so, after the third war, Gazgul's like, alright, I've done my job. I didn't technically win, but it's a perpetual war. This is exactly what every orc wants. And so he leaves Armageddon with uh, Yarrick in pursuit, with Black Templars, uh, with High Marshal Helbrecht following, and they actually get really close to killing Gazgul. They're, they're very close to destroying his space hulk. Um... Until all of the weird boys on his ship start glowing green, and then they, as at one, start vomiting out green energy, and the voices of Gork and Mork, the orc gods themselves, are like, hey, uh, we don't want you to die yet. You're too badass. You gotta have the great wall across the galaxy. And he's like, shit, you got it. And so all the weird boys at once explode and teleport him across the galaxy, essentially. Uh, Yarrick and Helbrecht are rightfully pissed off because they had him in their grasp, but just, just quite weren't able to get him before he was teleported literally on the other side of the galaxy um continues gathering more more orcs for his great wah uh ends up going to the octarius seg- sector which uh, uh uh that's its own kettle of fish story long story short tyranids yeah. are there tyranids big space bug dinosaurs and there is another perpetual war there that the orcs love where it's just orcs v tyranids and so gasgill comes and he's like hey i got other wars to fight we gotta fuck up some tyranids and so they pretty much win the war against the tyranids for a while the tyranids eventually resurge and come back and 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 give them a better fight but with gasgill's morale boost the boys start winning and they start winning really well uh until (laughs) there's a a a wonderful space wolf who was originally gasgill's rival before yarrick was a thing back in second or third edition old ragnar blackmane uh, who didn't have a new model until this event happened in the lore. Uh, he is able to uh, duel Gazgul. He gets him away from all of his other boys and is able to fight him mano a mano. Uh, and they essentially kill each other. He decapitates Gazgul, which is a huge feat because Gazgul is the most badass orc that has lived for 10,000 plus years. Uh, Whose weak point is his head, apparently. Well, it's the only thing on him that's not armored. <laughs> um, fair. Uh, decapitates Gazgul, which is fine. He's an orc. They can deal with that. Uh, he savages Ragnar Blackmane, beats the ever-loving shit out of him, beats him to within a, a hair's breadth of death. Uh His fellow space wolves are able to drag his almost corpse away, and he goes through the Rubicon Pimeris. And, uh, you know, for something that has a 33% chance of killing you, boy, does nobody die from it. So he comes back as a Primaris. uh, And then Mad Doc Grotznik comes back, and he's like, ah, shit, Gazgold died. Or did he? And then he sticks his head on this 
super mutant orc body he's been making in the back shed because he's mad doc rotsnick why the fuck not <laughs> that's what he so does he has this even gianter gasgill corpse and he's like oh hey by the way i also got you a new set of armor commission that looks exactly the same as your previous armor but even bigger and fits this new body yeah, but and gasgill goes great <laughs> and that's the story that's where we're at in the lore so he's gathering his great his his great wah to go and destroy the entire galaxy and have a perpetual war and be the biggest, most badass orc that's ever existed in the eyes of Gork and Mork, and be the prophet of the Wah. Uh, let's see, Gasgol, he was a Goff, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely Goff. For those of you that don't know, Goff clan is uh, essentially the, the clan of orcs that doesn't care about anything except for getting in as close as quickly as possible and beating the shit out of stuff one-on-one. -on -one. They don't care about shooters, they don't care about bikes, they just want to get there and they want to punch things. Death Skulls are still my favorite faction of orcs. Same, that's why I have a, a whole just... Death Skulls army. <laughs> That's when I had an orc army. That's what it was. Just because I have, I love conversions and like just you can just pilfer anything and put them well, on these. It's, it's great. a great thing about orcs. You can have any clan, and it doesn't really matter. But death skulls are just a great reason yeah, but, to go. Ah, I wanted to buy a chimera and slap some orc shit on it. <laughs> exactly. All right. So that brings us to uh, your last favorite forty k character. Yeah. So and to uh, stick with our theme here, apparently we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna wind it back to that third war for Armageddon. <laughs> yet again. And yet again, because apparently Andrew would have a type, and that type is Armageddon. Uh, fun fact: I believe Garo was on Ulanor, which became Armageddon. Yeah. If you really want to fall <laughs> down, a really a, if you really want to fall down a rabbit hole, look up our, the history of Armageddon. It was it was an orc homeworld for a long time until the Emperor came and beat up the the Grand Overboss or whatever the fuck. Like they they really did some retconning shit with Armageddon, which I'm not necessarily a, for. It, it was fine when it was just Imperial Guard being brass balled bass, badasses. But that also makes sense on why they were initially drawn, the orcs were drawn to Armageddon as well, because it was one of their home Yeah, orcs. yeah, Will of Gork and Mork throwing them out of the warp and all that shit, you know. Exactly. Sci-fantasy. Sci yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, my third character is Merrick Grimaldus, the heroes of Hell's Reach, the reclusiarch of the Black Templars. Uh, he was he was risen to the rank of reclusiarch literally right before he was sent down to the surface of Armageddon. So in the third war for Armageddon, uh, it was, you know, for lack of a better term, the big one. There was a, like one of the largest space battles outside of the heresy and one of the largest ground battles outside of the heresy. And the Black Templars, since they were a space-born fleet, they were a crusade fleet, they had total command of the entire space forces there. Uh, led by High Marshal Helbrecht. So to be his man on the ground, he sent Grimaldus down, uh, who Grimaldus's predecessor uh, had been killed very, very shortly before this. Um, little, let's see, I don't, I don't think it says how soon, but like they were still basically in like mourning of him before they sent him down. He was the prodigy of the previous high chaplain, Mordred, who wore this trippy skull-faced helm, and, like, his his rhetoric was... Like, other chapters have talked about him because he, like, stirred so many people in battle. Which is saying a lot about Space Marine rhetoric, because that's... It takes, a, yeah. it takes a lot for a different chapter to be like, yo, you need to do it our way, and they go, oh, you know, you're right, because they're really insular. Yeah, and generally... Black Templars fought alongside Imperial Fists and Imperial Fist, um, second, third, and fourth founding chapters fairly regularly. Fought along the Crimson Fist a couple of times. Um, 
What were those? Uh, the Celestial Lions was the other big one that they fought with. That's that's a little farther down in here. So Grimaldus had just become the Reclusiarch, literally before he got shipped down to the planet of Armageddon. And so being the High Reclusiarch, that put him in the true inner circle, which the inner circle in the Black Templars is you have the High Marshal, uh, a marshal that is leading a crusade, not a castellan, but a marshal. Uh, and the marshals are generally pulled from the ranks of the sword brethren, which are basically like the top tier guard of the guard. That's what marshals get pulled from. Uh, Grimaldus was actually the youngest sword brethren that there ever was in the Black Templar. So like he's he's a chaplain, yeah, but he's also one of the greatest swordsmen in a chapter full of the greatest swordsmen. So like he's no he's no slouch when it comes to close combat. Uh, when he gets introduced into it, you know the Black Templars, as you heard with the Sigismund thing earlier, just the cool shit they like to say. Like the final thing that they do is, uh, Helbrecht has you remove your helmet, and he just slugs you in the face, and says, "Let that be the last blow you ever receive that is not repaid." Very, uh... Very gang kind of thing, where it's, take your lumps, kid. Really you gotta is. take your lumps to get yeah. in. So, Grimaldus was very, very bitter about being risen up to this, because he didn't believe that he could fill Mordred's shoes. Boots? I don't know. Tabard? Whatever you want to go with. He didn't think that he could really kind of fill that gap that Mordred had left, because he was such, like, a big figure. And then to be lifted to that and sent down to Armageddon, where he was... 100% positive he was going to die. So for the majority of the Battle of Hell's Reach, he was just bitter and terrible, and he wasn't inspiring the troops. Uh, a little bit through, he kind of found his fire. Like, he was grumbly, and he would just kind of walk the lines and stuff like that, and just thought all they were doing was showboating for no good. When the first orcs hit the planet, they took the entire hundred Black Templars out in their Land Raiders and bikes to go kill, like, 40 orcs that landed in a crashed spaceship. And it was, like, broadcast all across, and it was this big pomp and circumstance thing, and he was like, this is bullshit. He's like, this is not what we're here for. And he hated it. He hated that they were, they, it was like he had been brought down to be a symbol instead of a warrior. Which, that's not really the Space Marine thing. That's at least not the Sons of Dorne in any aspect. So, as this is going on, you know, his command squad kind of is like, hey, like, where's the Grimaldus we know? And they kind of pick at him and pick at him. And then it kind of clicks when he sees other things around him have started resigning themselves to their fates. Most notably, uh, she is known as the Crone of Invigilata. She was like the high princeps of the Legio Invigilata. She commanded this huge, huge, um, this huge warlord imperator titan, uh, the Storm Herald, it was called. And at one point, like, the orcs collapse hab blocks on it and stuff like that, and Grimaldus is just basically calling her a fucking coward, and like, if you don't stand, you don't deserve to live, and he kind of starts getting that fire back. And then, uh, Initially, they weren't even going to march at Hell's Reach Hive. They were going to they were going to go along the banks of whatever the river is and fight with the other legions, and the other legios and stuff like that. And he he took a gunship, flew to it, had the gunship hover right outside the cockpit, went all the way up, threatening to kill anything in his way until he got to talk to her. Went face to face with her tank, removed his helmet, had a conversation, and he's like, "You got two choices." 
You can either walk with us in defense of the hive, because I guarantee you can't get your shields up quick enough for the gunship to fire in the canopy and kill us both. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, either way, you're dying in this hive alongside of me. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, oh, well, Black fuck. Emperors are real big on the whole, well, die for the emperor or die trying, so. Exactly. What is it? Uh, my biggest regret is that I only have one life to give for the yeah, emperor. Yeah, so you want to say thing. more badass line. Yeah. So he he straight up calls the lead princeps of one of the strongest Titan legions in the galaxy a coward and a bitch, and then walks away. And she's like, "Well, I guess I got to fight with him." So they're defending Hell's Reach Hive, and the entire time he's just watching, is just his guys are dying and dying and. Like, uh, if you read the book Hell's Reach, it's it's actually really kind of, I don't know, brutal the way it kind of describes it. Because at the beginning of each chapter, it'll be like, you know, day 32, brother so-and-so, lost on Hell's Highway, destroyed by this, Gene Seed, not recovered. And it just, every one of them, like, you just see it, and it's just more and more and more. And it's like, died taking out orcs, died courageously, Gene Seed not recovered. And the amount of times you read Gene Seed not recovered, which if you don't know Space Marines, the Gene Seed is what keeps the chapter alive. And just, so he's down on this planet watching as their numbers are just dwindling with nothing he can do about it. And he finds out there's a thing called the Ordinatus under the planet that everyone kind of thinks is a rumor that was the weapon that won, I believe it was the second war for Armageddon. And it is a Nova cannon from a battleship, basically, on tracks that the Mechanicum has, like, buried under Armageddon. It is the weapon to end all weapons. And so he's like, we're stealing it. <laughs> and, and the Mechanicum's like, no. He's like, no, it's cool. I got a tech marine. He's going to go steal it. So he's... their tech marine literally sits there for, like, I think it's 38 days or something. Like, his... Uh, his servitors with him die because he just doesn't feed them as he's trying to go through all this stuff till he hijacks the greatest weapon on the planet and slowly drives it back to kill Orc Titans. So with, with Grimaldus, he's he's got the equivalent of the Ron Swanson where it's the, hey, you can't be here, and he pulls out the, oh, hang on. <laughs> and he's got the car that says, I do what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he he once he kind of got his fire back is really when the tide started to turn. Uh, so he's getting, they're getting the Ordinatus coming down and they're like, all right, if we can just survive till that gets back, we're good. And then Gazgul being Gazgul, he launches a surprise attack from the ocean. So, so Hell's Reach was a, a dock city and the dock was supposed to be one of like the last lines of defense because it backed up to the water. Well, the fucking orcs crashed their ships, took their ships apart, built submarines, and attacked the docks. So the Templars go to the docks and are just fighting like crazy. Uh, Grimaldus has his plasma pistol. It's out of ammo. One of the coolest scenes from the fight is like, he his plasma pistol is overheated and spent, so he's using it as a flail, just crushing orc skulls with a flail plasma pistol because it's on a chain. The plasma pistol then breaks and he loses it. So he just takes the chain and starts strangling orcs to death with it. Which is not a great way to kill uh, orcs. They're stupidly tough. Yeah, well, Grimaldus is stupidly strong and stupidly no, angry. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah. So, you know, there's all those fights. It's it, The battle total for this goes on for like two months, almost. Not at the dock, but at Hell's Reach Hive. Uh, so they're fighting and the docks are about to fall. And then all of a sudden, drop pods come down. And it's the salamanders. 
So one of the Black Templar ships basically ran cover and sacrificed itself so a salamander dropship could come in and fire drop pods down onto Armageddon. So both of those ships were lost, but they landed, I think, two companies of salamanders onto the planet who were then able to kind of turn the tide at the docks. Then when the orcs were fleeing, Grimaldus took the surviving Templars and a bunch of the Steel Legion to pursue, but the salamanders pulled back to protect the basically like the shelters where all the civilians were. So instead of pushing the advantage and finishing off the orcs, they they were outpaced and kind of broken apart because half the force stayed behind as the salamanders. And Grimaldus had, uh, say he had words with the salamander commander about that, and they never really saw eye yeah, to salamanders eye. Salamanders are, uh, if anybody can be called the good guys of 40K, they're the ones who actually give a shit about little things like civilian casualties and things like that. <laughs> Yeah, either way, like, both of the chapters' end goal was to win, to, to protect yeah. Hellsreach. The Templars were like, ends justify the means. Salamanders were like, who cares if we save the hive if there's no one left for exactly. the hive? So, that's going on. Uh, it's still, Hell's, because of that, Hellsreach still starts to fall. Then the Salamanders leave and they go meet up with their brothers on the banks of the river fighting the big, big fight. So, Grimaldus institutes this thing, it's called, uh, I think it's like the, the Hundred Points of Light, where basically everyone in the hive goes to ground. Uh, and it's just guerrilla warfare for like another two or three weeks. And near the end of it, the Templars pull back to the church that is on Armageddon. It's like, um, it was the very first church built by the first settlers to the planet. So there's a thing of sisters there, sisters of battle, like a very small contingent. And that's where kind of the final battle for Hell's Reach takes place uh everything is happening all the titans are dead at this point uh it's the temple of the emperor ascendant it's got 35 black templars are left at this point grimaldus his emperor's champion bayard handful of other and then like i want to say it's like a hundred or so uh order of the argent shroud sisters of battle and they're fighting everyone is dying bayard goes down the emperor's champion so all the black templars are now just fighting through orcs everyone is wounded to retrieve the sword and his armor, and drag him into the temple. Temple starts getting hit. It's getting bombed. Grimaldus has, I think he's got like the black sword at his feet. He's swinging his, um, his Crozius, which is like this super mastercrafted, badass Crozius, just breaking orc skulls. And the temple gets hit by artillery and collapses, uh, believing to kill everyone inside couple of days later like they're they're removing the rubble and fucking Grimaldus comes up out of the rubble as they're removing it and the rest of the orcs are being defeated and driven off um they were able to land in reinforcements basically as everything was falling and drive the orcs away but Grimaldus is now this one who led the defense of Hell's Reach Hive and the only survivor of the Templars and what the the survivors of Armageddon and stuff did from Hell's Reach, there were a handful of relics, I guess you could call them left. It was one of the banners that was hanging in the temple. A, uh, a censer bearer full of the water blessed there. And then part of the statues. And so now when Grimaldus goes to war, he carries those three things. Cenobite servitors carry those with him and like to help inspire others. Um, they carried them when they took some of the Steel Legion and the other stuff to go hunt down... Gazgul, which of course, unfortunately, they didn't get because he Gork and Mork. Because he does, yeah, Gork and Mork. I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you, 
meddling kids and Gorky. <laughs> and your Gork. gods of literal destruction. <laughs> yeah, right? But he is still, in current lore, the reclusiarch to um, Helbrecht, who is still running. Which, I'm curious with the new um, new book coming out, what it'll kind of do to their lore. Because Helbrecht has been the High Marshal for a fucking long time. Uh, I mean, he's a badass and beloved character. It wouldn't shock me if they Primaris him, because that's... Shame his model sucks and his rules Well, that's that might be what they update. They might, they might give him a new model, because everybody's getting primaris because they have cool characters that they don't want to officially kill off, so, you know, it's just kind of what's happening. Cue back to my previous statement about Ragnar, where, uh, you know, there's in the lore something like a 33% chance that you're going to die if you become a Primaris Marine, but everybody lives because they have names. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, Andrew, we're going a little long, but uh, just... Kind of, kind of rattle one of your uh, your honorable mentions. Oh, Andy. just one. All right. Uh, well, we'll go with the other badass orc that is not Gazgul, which is Tuska Demon Killer. Uh, he is not the uh, not the arch arsonist. Of of... No, no, no. He's Chardon? he was on the short list, but I have I have I have another <laughs> one before him. But first, Tuska Demon Killer. Uh, long story short, he was a orc war boss that discovered that he loved fighting demons because they were th- the most non. <laughs> orc badasses he's ever fought and so he gathered a great wad together and just went into the eye of terror and all the guys on Cadia were like what the fuck all right cool have fun bud uh and so he just smashed the shit out of the warp for a while uh did a pretty good job of it uh was killing demons left right and center until eventually he landed on a planet owned by corn uh and he uh he and his entire wad died in glorious combat against these bloodletters and bloodthirsters and corn was like you know it <laughs> was a really good show they were actually pretty badass and so like with Karn the betrayer he just resurrects his wa every single day so that they can keep fighting and keep having a glorious death <laughs> every single day and they are fucking loving it that is actually pretty awesome and that's that's the entire story and i want to see a model of them <laughs> How about you? You got a you got an honorable mention? I, I do. So there's a lot of them. Go on for days about the lore of this game. Like we said in one of our in our last episode, like love the lore of 40k. But this one, it was real hard not to put him on my top uh, to bounce out Sigismund. But Sigismund's just so cool, and it is Warmaster Lord Solar Macarius, yeah. the only imperial hero as far as I'm aware to be granted the rank of Warmaster after the whole Warmaster incident. <laughs> You know, that, that one heresy. <laughs> yeah, just that one. So not a title they throw out lightly. Uh, the Macarian Conquest, or what he did, also the Macarian Crusade, whatever you want to call it, which in seven years added a thousand worlds to the Imperium. Which is ludicrous on the Warhammer scale of <laughs> it's things. Insane. Normally it's like, oh, we went on one crusade, and over the course of a hundred years, we lost two billion guardsmen and gained a quarter of a continent. Yeah. So, yeah, so Macarius is, uh, he's like the greatest crusading general. Like, he led the greatest crusade outside of the Great Crusade. Uh, he crusaded all the way to the edge of the galaxy, and the best part is, when he got to the edge of the galaxy, he wanted to keep going outside of the Astronomicon's light, and everyone who was with him was like, no. Hey, you guys want to go commit suicide? The great darkness between galaxies? Nah, boss, we're good. <laughs> yeah, so so everyone was with him, basically threatened a mutiny if they went any farther. After all the shit they'd seen and fought, and just like, the utter badassness they were, just like, nah, I'm, 
I'm good. Well, that's saying a lot, too, because once you get past, like, the cool stars, which are, like, the very edge of the galaxy where weird shit starts happening, if they were okay with that and then got to the edge of the galaxy and were like, all right, now we're good. That's that's saying a lot about how fucking incredible he was as a war master to keep that together. Yeah, he, uh, let's see, it's whispered that the stars of the Halo Zone beyond were haunted and inhabited by, like, ghosts, and his troops went there. <laughs> They went to the ghost realm. And that's that's just continuing the over-the-topness that is Warhammer 40k. Eventually, you know, you, you get the, the, the feats of heroism and the incredible feats of strength, and then you go ten times further. <laughs> yeah, and so, so then uh, after that, they went back, you know, they pulled back all that stuff. As, as they tend to do, he went back to Terra, where he basically had, like, every title there ever was. Uh, see, he was Lord Commander Solar, he was War Master, he had the rank of um, uh, Lord Militant General, like, all that stuff. He was, he was functionally sat on the seat as a High Lord of Terra without being a High Lord of Terra. Yeah, when you're so badass, you're a High Lord of Terra without going through the pomp and circumstance, then that's saying a lot. He, he was the Lord Commander Solar, which means that he was the tippity-top of every Imperial armor and army and Imperial Navy thing in the entire Segmentum Solar. All answered to him. And being the Segmentum Solar, that means that the other Segmentums answered to him. Literally the only people who didn't answer to him were the High Lords of Terra and the Custodes. Malkador, the Emperor, and the Custodes. Yeah. And that's a bad At that point, Malkador was dust, so you don't have to worry about him. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he was. Uh, yeah, so that's my honorable mention. And, of course, I think Andrew will agree with me on this one. Uh, Eisenhorn is a fantastic yeah. character. Eisenhorn, Ibram if... Gaunt, Ravener. There's... Mm. there's Anything by Dad Yeah, anything by Dad Abbott. Uh, there's a whole buku of amazing Warhammer characters. Warhammer is a mixed bag when it comes to lore. There's a lot of dumb bullshit and a lot of boring bullshit, but just as much really amazing bullshit because it's got 40 years worth of authors at this point and 40 years worth of varying quality. So there is good lore out there, and most people can say, can agree that, that Gaunt's Ghosts and the Eisenhorn series are the tippity-top. Eisenhorn series does a really good job of that, like, damnation by degree sort of thing. Yeah, because no, it's, it's the tale of the rise and fall of an Inquisitor, essentially. And that, that doesn't really mm. spoil it, because if you're an Inquisitor long enough, yeah. you will eventually become a radical who eventually <laughs> uses Xenos or demon technology. So Exactly. And then uh, I'm all, I also kind of want to give a shout-out to the Cyphus Kane yes. novels by Sandy Mitchell. The, the comedy it's, novels. It's as close to a... <laughs> Yeah, is it like a comedy book you'll find, but it's still very serious at the same yeah, time. Yeah, there's still a pretty good bit of bolter porn. There's, there's still fighting. There's still fun yeah. and action. There's a little bit of romance. He's one of the only characters in Warhammer that canonically lays pipe. Uh, yeah. He, he, he's a badass. He's got this, uh, uh, what would you call him? I guess manservant, Jurgen, who is who's a yeah. blank Halitosis, yeah, he has man. horrible halitosis, horrible BO. He's a blank, which means he doesn't have a soul, so psychics can't affect him. He has a melta gun, which is just a straight Deus Ex Machina several times in the series, let's be real. Yeah. And he's always looking at porn, because, yeah, why not? Yeah. It's a great series. Definitely <laughs> worth the read. It's a, it's a fantastic series. It really is. Yeah, looking at our character list, when I looked at mine, I was like, 
I like commissars and black templars. Well, at least with your list, you get the mix of the superhuman ridiculous feats and then the everyday guy being more badass than the superhumans, which I, I can agree with. That always That's is fair. way more interesting to me. Uh, oh, yeah. And then with orcs, it's just, you know, it's the it's the pub crawl <laughs> that kills everybody. But they're, uh, they're the only faction that's having fun in Warhammer because they're bred for battle. That is their bread and butter. They yeah. will literally die if they don't fight, unless they die in fighting. They're just a bunch of football yeah, they're hooligans. they're the soccer hooligans or rugby hooligans or just any kind of hooligan you can think of. And they the only time they're having fun is when they're fighting. <laughs> All right. So, you know, tell us what you guys think about uh, your favorite characters, if you disagree with us, or if we got some lore wrong, because that is possible. I definitely stumbled of a lot of the Nathaniel Garrow stuff because that was a last-second change, but... It's fine. He's still a cool character. It gives you a chance to read up on him yourself. Exactly. Yeah, find out what we did wrong. That way you'll know more about the character and you'll enjoy them exactly. like we do. So want to roll into our tooltip segment real quick. Uh, last time we talked about glue. This time I want to talk about, uh, I'm going to call it temporary glue, and that is blue tack, ah. poster putty, sticky tack, whatever you want to call it. In my opinion, it is one of the most underrated hobby tools that you can have in your arsenal. Do you use blue tack at all, Andrew? Very occasionally. I think you're mostly going to be talking during this segment. Okay. I um, I don't know. I use it, it. I either keep my model in separate pieces and paint them individually, or I just glue it all together and give myself a tough time. I, I don't really use blue tack that much. So, so Tony, convince me to use blue tack as well as the listeners. All right. So you primarily run orcs, things that have something in each hand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as you've seen, I play Guard, and I play Space Marines. Things that have two arms and one thing that kind of connect in the middle. Usually a rifle, or a rocket launcher, or a smaller rifle, or a larger rifle. Or, or a small rifle with a rocket or, launcher on or it. Or a small rifle with a rocket launcher on it. Or, or a small a laser rifle thing, or a plasma technically thing. a rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah. So that's where Blue Tech really, really shines. Uh, I'm a big, big proponent of dry fitting. And if I would have had blue tack when I was first building models, it would have been a godsend. Because trying to line up, especially on Imperial Guardsmen, a left arm with no hand to a right arm with a rifle and a hand on it with glue is a pain in the ass. I will say, I used to have a fairly large Adeptus Mechanicus army, and mm -hmm. building those rangers was such a gigantic pain in the ass because the way they would do the models is they would have, like, a gun arm where the gun is in one hand, but the other hand is on the stock of the gun, yep. and then the other arm is handless, and you have to line that up, and that was a big old pain in the ass. And that is where blue tack shines. You just take a very little dot of it, and I usually put it on the left hand, because it's a little bit easier to manipulate on most of mine, because most guardsmen are right-handed, apparently, in the universe. There's no lefties. Well, you know, it's, it's like real life, 90% or so of the population. That's fair. When you're talking to the, you know, billions of billions, I guess. So I'll put a little piece of blue stuff up under the left arm, line it up, then I'll do my right arm and put my glue on my right arm, let my right arm set. Then I'll take the left arm off, remove the blue tag, and that right arm will be set, so I'll already know that that will line up just right. And the amount of time that has saved me and fiddling and cursing at arms is astronomical. I believe it, especially <laughs> when you're getting with uh, older kits like a lot of Katie and Guard models mm -hmm. and such, where they, they, they tended to not necessarily fit together the greatest. Yeah, and then uh, another good part of Blue Tech is, uh, you know, you heard Andrew built 60 Grotz, I built 60 Skaven. We speed build things. So, like, I don't build one model at a time. I will clip 
40 infantrymen to build all at once. So I'm not going to sit there usually and hold like, you know, uh, specifically on, uh, on anything that kind of leans funky. I'm not going to sit there and hold it forever to let it dry just right. So when I touch it, it topples over again. So I, Blue tech works really well for there. If you put glue on like their feet or on whatever's leaning, and then you can make a little blue tack bracket around them and stick it to the base and it'll hold them there. You can move it around. As long as you have good blue tack, you can damn near throw that model and it's not going to shift. And that'll help stabilize models there. Also really good for if, uh, if you don't want to do magnets or magnets are kind of a tedious pain in the ass. You don't have any magnets. I use a lot of blue tech on my Bretonians. Uh, there's a little nub on their butt that goes with the horse's saddles. I've clipped most of those off, and I will just put a little dab of blue tack on there because it's a lot easier to store a lot of models in two pieces. I'm a big proponent of blue tack. Take away what you will from it, but I recommend you at least keep a little bit of it for nothing else to help you dry fit models together to see how they'll look. I, I have also heard, but never actually done myself, that it's really good for assembling a lot of older tanks, so that way you yes. can you can get uh, the plating together, because I don't know if you listeners have ever built a fucking Lehman Russ or a Chimera, <laughs> but those things do not want to go together. Land Raiders are the worst. That long bit that goes over their tracks, they're always warped. And yeah, you can take blue stuff and literally just stretch it over it and pull it down tight, and it'll hold it tight. Yeah. And it's better than a rubber band because it's not going to put the stress on the model a rubber I, band does. I will say, uh, building this Stompa, I kind of wish I had some blue tack now that we've talked about it. It, it would definitely help because it's one of those old kits that's... Uh, it, it was not built with ease of building in mind. And then for, uh, for the cheeky airbrushers out there, I always say cheeky airbrushers because I went to go prime all my models yesterday and I turned on my compressor because I suck with an airbrush so I just prime through it. I turned on my compressor, it cuttered spot sputtered coughed and shot brown goo into my moisture trap and killed itself so i'm gonna have to buy a new one of those this week before i paint all my skaven but uh blue tack is every time i think to get into airbrushes i hear about something like that <laughs> it's usually me because i'm a bane of technology well there you go so blue tech is also really really good for masking so if you do camo patterns or stripes or anything like that blue tech works great for it and then after you've sprayed it, you can just pull it, wad it back up, and it still generally holds its tackiness because you'll kind of mix that paint through it. Yeah, you can you can reuse blue tack a pretty mm -hmm. good amount before it starts to get a little too dry. Yep, and like Silly Putty, wash it with just a very little bit of hot, soapy water, and that usually cleans a bunch of the gump off of it, and you can keep using it. But it's also only like $2 for a big old pack of it, so if you're a cheap bastard like me, wash it. If you're not, buy more. So there you go, blue tack. Blue tack, there we go. There's our... Tool tip of the week, episode, show, whatever you want to call Month? it. We haven't figured out a release date yeah, yet. We'll, we'll figure that out. We'll get there. We're on episode two in two weeks. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll shoot for bi-weekly at the very least. We'll see. Exactly. Oh, I think it's time for a uh, a dumb list. I, I think we're, we're trying to make that a weekly thing. So I, I built right. ours. I built us a dumb quick list. Uh, right. So if you listened Good last job. week, Tony built... Um, what did you end up calling it? Hell's Highway or uh, Yeah, I think I, I think I'm gonna go with Highway to Hellhound. Highway to Hellhound. So he built a, a flamer list for his Imperial Guard that had something like fifty six various forms of flamer on it. Uh, which was very silly and honestly might re work really well depending <laughs> yeah. on which army you're playing the, against. The more I look at it, the more I wanna give it a shot. Sometime. We'll give it a go someday. You can see how it works against my speed wall. 
poorly, I would imagine. Probably they're not going to die horribly to flamers. But uh, I did the flip side. I went with an Age of Sigmar army, and uh, I chose, of course, my my spiritual army, which is the Gloom Spike Gits, the crazy little buggers themselves. Uh, and so I'm going with one uh, called the Squigglelanch. So, uh, <laughs> squigs and trogs tend to be my favoriteest armies. Uh, trogs, you can't really do anything silly with them, per se. It's mostly just... Bullshit! Uh, uh, there's no, like, silly build with them. They're just an inherently silly model, but there's not many, like, silly strategies with them. So... I don't know, your unkillable mushroom-eating troll mom was pretty brutal, that, that list you had. Yeah, troll hags can be fun if you build them right, but... Regardless, uh, we're talking about squigs today. We're doing the squigalanche. So uh, we're doing a 2,000-point list. This one ends up being uh, 1990, so potentially you can get a triumph depending on what opponent you're playing against. Again, it's a dumb list. You're not going to win probably, or maybe you are. Who knows? It's squigs. It depends on your random rolls. So we are starting off with our HQs. We're doing a loon boss on mangler squigs as our general. Uh, we're giving them the command trait, fight another day, which uh, essentially when you're done fighting with him, you get to retreat for free and then you can fight again the next phase. So Ooh. essentially you can fight, run away and then fight again, uh, which is really good for keeping your general alive. And that's what my general had during Tony and I's famous uh, Bretonian Knights versus Squig, Squig Hoppers uh, engagement that we talked about in the last game. The classic the last, cavalry last slap fight. Yeah, it was great. That was why you couldn't kill him, because he kept running away. Yeah, because uh, I forgot half the rules on my stupid king. Yeah, well, I do the same thing. So, you know. That's fair. It uh, balances out. And we give him the artifact, which is a new universal artifact in 3rd edition called the Amulet of Destiny, which uh, gives him a 5-up feel-no-pain, which is just hard to say no to. That's a good one for pretty much any army. Uh, Can he not take the shiny what's-it that you had last time? No, it's a trog-only one. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, because the way the Gloom Spites are broken up, it's essentially three armies in one, and so depending on who your HQ is, you get to pick specific artifacts for each one. And oh, so, very cool. as a Grot, he gets a specific one, but or a non-Spider Fang Grot, rather, he gets a specific list. But I went with a Universal one, because overall it's probably a little bit better. So, 5-up feel, no pain save. That's the biggest problem I've personally run into with Mangler Squig Loon Bosses, is they're a little squishy, honestly. Uh, they have a lot of wounds, but they die really quickly if you get them in prolonged fights. Mm -hmm. So getting it to where they have a 33.3% chance of flat ignore wounds, pretty good. Um, so from then on, we have another leader. We have a loon boss on giant cave squig, which has uh, just a basic moon cutter, nothing special about him. The reason you bring him is he has a command ability called let's get bouncing. Uh, <laughs> any friendly squig within 12 inches of him they can just make three extra inches for their movement, which is a lot because they, most squigs in this army roll random uh, distances for their movements. Speaking of which, his particular movement is 2d6 inches. So you could roll potentially 12, potentially two. They're very silly. Uh, let me bring up the loons, loon boss one. So a loon boss's movement is 3d6. So you add an extra three inches onto that uh, right off the bat, pretty solid. So at least uh, you're getting six inches no matter what. Bare minimum. Uh, and we'll reel it back a bit. A loon boss on Mangler Squig's command ability is Bite to Moon. Uh, you can use this command ability at the start of a combat phase, and when you do that, uh, you can add one to all wound rolls for squig units that are wholly within 18 inches, which can be really, really good for the rest of this list I've got going on, which, is, you know, 
it can go either way. It's a very swingy type of list. Um, so we have that Loon Boss on Giant Cave Squig uh, for just that, that one command ability, essentially. He's not that good on his own. He's not that fast on his own for Squigs. He's just okay. Uh, then we have yet another Loon Boss on Mangler Squigs. Uh, this good one, God. Uh, uh, we go ahead and take a, um, uh, what is it called in third edition? A, uh, uh, and, and enhancement because we took the mm. warlord core battalion as well as the alpha beast battalion so we took an enhancement so that way we can have the uh loon boss on mangler squigs with the cami cow uh, clammy cowl artifact which is one of the ones for the grots that you get uh, and what that does is just a minus one to hit him so again with loon bosses on mangler squigs you want survivability because they're very squishy for what they do they're giant wrecking balls if you can get them in a combat and attack first you're probably going to kill whatever you're hitting but if something hits you first you get bracketed very quickly with that model so we're going for survivability above all things so leaders are done we're going into battle line we're taking one unit of 24 squig herd. So what that is is 20 <laughs> squigs and four squig herders. Uh, if you don't know what squig herds do, they are a very silly basic battle line model. They move five inches. They, they're not random. They have two wounds each, which is pretty good for a basic infantry model. They yeah, only have a six-up save, though, and they only have three bravery, which sounds bad until... <laughs> um, so if you have a squig herder around, you want to keep them at the back of each unit so that they can keep this ability. You can re-roll any run and charge rolls if there's a squig herder around. It's just a free thing. It's called Go Dat Way. Um, and then there's an ability they have called Squigs Go Wild. So, oh, let's reel back a bit. They have melee weapons. They have the squig prodder, which is for your squig herder. It just pokes with a stick. It's a five to hit, five to wound, nothing special. Basic Squig, however, has a fang-filled gob, which is two attacks, four to hit, three to wound, rend one, one damage. Pretty good for a pretty cheap battle line unit. That's not bad. And then they have their special unit or special rule called Squigs Go Wild, which is why you want three bravery. So every time a cave squig model flees from the battlefield, roll a die. On a four plus, the nearest other unit within six inches of the fleeing model suffers one mortal wound. If two or more such units are equally close, you can pick which one gets the mortal wound. So, in a brick of 20, if you get into combat and you get attacked first, that's kind of okay. Because there's a really good chance you're going to do 10 plus mortal wounds if they kill like half your models. Um, and then depending, and because this is a squig only unit, if you got your loon shrine... You have a four up or a 50 50 chance of bringing half of those models back. So you're going to have 12 models coming back on the battlefield once this unit is dead. Uh, so we go back to our battle line. Guess what? I have two more of two more units of 24 squig herd, uh, each with four uh, squig herders. So that's a total of 60 squigs on the board and 12 Jesus. squig herders, which could potentially have a 50 50 chance of being resurrected when they die. Uh, also, also, we spent 300 stinking points on honestly not that good of a model, but it's fun and silly. We took a behemoth and we took the colossal there squig. You're not getting a squig list without a colossal squig. So this is a forge world model, which means currently it suffers from, let's be real, kind of shitty rules. But it's not the worst forge world model, so I'll just quickly go over its list. So it's kind of like its model too. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so goofy. So goofy. I got one. Don't, you have one, don't I you? I have one, and I've never fielded okay, it because it's not worth the points. But I love the little fucker. I mean, giant fucker. <laughs> um, yeah. But so unwounded, its movement is four d six, which is really good when you have that one guy giving him an extra three inches of running. Uh, it can hit on a two with its jaws, and it has ten attacks with its trampling feet. Again, when it's unwounded, Jesus uh, has eight attacks with its enormous jaws. Normally, it also has a missile weapon, which is spores it gets one attack five to hit five to wound no rin but t3 damage which is really weird and very squeaky um the enormous jaws are minus two to rend two to hit when it's unwounded three to wound and d3 damage per hit eight attacks and a range of three inches not that bad actually uh trampling feet five to hit three to wound one rend one damage ten attacks when it's unwounded not bad but uh whenever you do a charge uh, any enemy unit within one inch of it suffers some D3 or suffers a mortal wound on a roll of a six. Not as good as you want it to be because ogres can do that and they can do that with their basic fucking infantry. This is just a this you can tell this Forge World unit was probably made right at the beginning of second edition and they haven't updated it yet. So hopefully we get that soon. Um, melee weapons are a minus one to hit against it because of its puff spores so just a permanent subtract one from it which is pretty good because it's got a five up save uh when you're is that in... the uh, the little thing shooting out from under its armpit there i guess for like yeah a it's term? just got a stink cloud okay. essentially okay, i was trying to figure out what that was on the model uh it's got a chance when you attack to have an unmodified hit roll of six and when you do that it's d3 mortal wounds because you've been swallowed whole even if oh, technically God. you don't die from that depending on what model you're attacking swallowed uh, your hand hole yeah exactly and then when you finally chew through its 16 wounds you get a fungoid squig explosion when this model is slain before removing the model roll a die for each enemy unit within three inches of it on a two they suffer d3 mortal wounds then you can add one unit of up to five cave squigs in your army uh you set this up wholly within nine inches of this model and more than three from enemy models and then remove the colossal squig from the battlefield so you get 16 wounds pumping out potentially 18 19 attacks depending on if you get a mail or a missile attack in bonus mortal wounds uh, and then when it dies, free unit of five cave squigs. Cause why not? Well, let's, let's bring that list up to 65 cave squigs. So this is, this is the squigalanche list. It's just cover the battlefield and squigs. Hope you roll well when they die. So you can get 10 more of them back and just try and overwhelm your enemy with a, a field of giant bitey teeth with feet. Ooh, I like that giant bitey teeth with feet. That's a squig. I mean, it's a mouth with that legs. Is, yeah, that's, that's. Literally all the squig is. That ugh. that seems like that'd be really fun to fight against, and at the same time, not fun at all to yeah, fight against. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very 50-50 list. It's either going to do complete shit or really overwhelm and destroy. I think a lot of it, A, a lot of it will depend on how you roll for your loon bosses, because random movement's kind of a bitch, even if it's funny. Yeah, of course. But also, it'll just depend on what army you fight. If they have, like, a really shooty list, like maybe if you're fighting Cities of Sigmar and they have their bricks of handgunners, those squigs mm -hmm. are going to be dead before they have a chance yeah, to toast. do anything. Uh, but if you're fighting against a super melee-heavy list, yeah, yeah, that might do pretty well. Well, I mean, especially, like, a super heavy melee list that's very tough. Yeah, because you're pumping out uh, mortal wounds after mortal exactly, wounds. Exactly, like, big, hard-hitting elite infantry, like uh, a lot of the new Stormcast stuff. Or, um... Iron jaws, things like that, that hit really, really hard and are really hard to break. Yeah. So I, I, it could, uh, like your flamer list, it could be sneaky good or total garbage. It just depends who you're fighting and how you roll. Uh, 
the whole point of the dumb lists, though, is just to see the look on your opponent's face when you put it down, and they kind of go like, what? Yeah, and they go, I, I think I can beat this, but I'm not sure yeah. I can beat this. They have that moment of self-doubt, and sometimes that's all you need to win a game. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's my squig list. Literally awesome. everything is either riding a squig or is a squig, except for the squig herders, but they're poking squigs, so that counts. And we're, uh, we're what, calling that one just a squig lanch? Yeah, that, that's the original name that they gave one of the battalions from 2nd edition. Oh, and that currently doesn't exist, out. so I'm stealing it. Cop out. It's just a good name. It is, I mean, it is pretty... you know, sometimes they hire good people to work at Games Workshop. What can I say? <laughs> Fair enough, man. All right, well, I think that's, uh, that's going to be about it for our show. Andrew, you got a piece of advice to leave us on tonight? Uh, don't eat yellow snow. Don't eat yellow snow. You heard it here first, kids. All right, once again, thank you guys for listening to Dice Like Ice, and we will be back next week with another episode. More stupid things, more bad jokes, and more reviews on beer? Sure. Uh, <laughs> New Holland Dragon's Milk. Solid 9 out of 10. Very good beer. Compass Rose IPA from Service. Not bad. Really light. Uh, like, water light. And, uh, so, you know, take that oh. with what you will. Oh, what was the Eric Idle joke? From Monty Python. Oh, American beer. It's like having sex in a canoe. Fucking close to water. Carn the betrayer. Heep up beepity doo. Thank you once again for listening. You can always contact us at dicelikeicepodcast at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook or Instagram, also under Dice Like Ice Podcast. We would also like to give a big shout out to Scarlet Saturn for use of their music in our show. It's over. Go home. Go.